0: Yes, amen, amen. Hey, everyone, just can you give it up for Jesus and the worship team and just say thank you, guys. Thank you. That was so awesome. All right, hey, you may be seated. Hey, everyone. Um, Happy New Year. Welcome to The Exchange. This is the first Sunday of 2021 at The Exchange. I'm so glad you guys are with us. So, uh, happy New Year. So glad you're here. Why don't you do me a favor? Could you turn to Psalm uh, 139? Psalm 139. That's where we will be at today. Psalm 139. Uh, so excited you guys are with us. Thankful for today, the new year, the church. Just very thankful right now. A um, couple of things I want to share with you guys. Here's what's happening. Really excited for this. In two weeks, it will be our three-year anniversary. In uh, two Sundays, January 17th, we're gonna be celebrating three years as a church. So excited for that. Uh, you guys can clap for that. that's exciting. Come on, three years. We've had uh, seven different moves, seven different locations in three years, and God has been so faithful. And uh, we want to celebrate. So. If you would, put this on your calendar. We're trying to uh, get something happening after church. We've reached out to a couple public parks, for like a potluck barbecue thing. Hopefully, we will get approved, and I will share that next week if we do. So January 17th and two Sundays. Hopefully, we'll have some fun, hang out, barbecue, play some sports outside. You know, enjoy the January weather. So will be in two weeks. Uh, hey, next week, I want you guys to be really aware of this. Very excited for this. Next week, we're starting a new series, but it's really in the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, we're calling it Church Detox. We're going to be looking at uh, the seven churches Jesus specifically speaks to in Revelation. Um, Jesus had a very strong word for these seven churches, a different word for all the churches. And our hope is to say, Lord, what is it you want to say to us and what can we learn from these churches? What did they do well? What did they not do well? Where did they go off? Where did they err? Um, So we're going to start by looking at Revelation chapter 2 and 3 next week uh, as we break down just the seven churches of Revelation. So excited for that. I would encourage you to read Revelation, uh, get the full context, and if you have questions, you can just join the club. Um, But very excited for that. Uh, That'll be next Sunday uh, the 10th. Um, Today is a special day too, and I know there's a lot to kind of go over. Today will be different at the end. Uh, Today is group Sunday. Uh, we do uh, like a group's launch basically once a year. We call our leaders up. We pray over them. In a sense, like we're commissioning them. Uh, we know it's a, a lot ahead, uh, but we love our groups. We love our group community. Um, we believe our church is just a bunch of smaller communities making one community, and we just want to do this well. So uh, our groups run three months on and one month off, so our groups start today. Uh, groups will begin this week. And they'll run through at the end of March, take off April, start again in May. So we just want you to be aware of that. Our hope is that everyone sees that sense of need uh, to be in community. A loving, supporting, Jesus-centered community that can challenge you, that can call you out, that can help you, that can meet your needs. Uh, we would love to do this. So this will be happening starting today, and we'd love for everyone to be part of that, so just keep that in mind. Um, also, when you came in, You should have gotten this little keychain. If you don't get it on the way out, it's basically just a little circle with a heartbeat. Um, Here's the idea. Uh, We've been praying over 2021 and just kind of going, Lord, what is it you want to do within our church community? What can we focus on? Um, How can we just really honor you well this year? And we're looking at 2021 as the year of spiritual health, the year of spiritual health. And so first of all, this is just more of like a fun token to put this on your keys and remind yourself like, hey, Lord, I want to be spiritually healthy. Uh, when you feel spiritually unhealthy, the hope is you can just take a look and go, okay, Lord, like I want to be spiritually healthy. and I want to press into you and in your presence and who you are. So this is something we've done like every year, it's just a little token, no big deal. Um, but the bigger, the bigger point is this is a year for us as a church to say, Jesus, we don't want to just be bigger. We want to be healthier. We want to be a church that pursues you, a, ch- a church that pursues the heart of Jesus and that there's genuine spiritual health here, if there's bad habits or toxic patterns or whatever it might be, purge that and we want to pursue you. So uh, that is kind of the focus of this year. I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do. That's why we're doing the seven churches of Revelation to start off our year, like a church detox. And our hope is just that Jesus would purify his church. That we'd be holy, set apart, different from the world, different from the culture, not in a weird way, but in a standout way, in a gospel-centered way. And so this is a year for us, so make sure you just grab this. This is a simple little fun thing, but it's more about the heart of this year. And even as we pick books of the Bible to teach through some of those things, we want to base it off of just spiritual health and this journey we're on. Um, So with that, you might remember I mentioned this last week. Today, really more tomorrow, but today we're kicking off our two-week fast. So, um, if you've never fasted before, maybe you have fasted, or you have questions, I just want to encourage you, you could go to our website, theexchangechurch.cc slash fast. There's like a fasting guide. Just click on the fasting guide. We're kind of giving different ways to fast, uh, but some of you might do more like a soul fast, where you're you're fasting from social media, or you're fasting from Netflix, or something like that. Um, Others, you might do just a pure fast, um, or, or encourage people just to fast maybe a meal a day. And just be in prayer. Here's the point of fasting. Um, It allows us to show, really, the Lord, teach our flesh, teach ourselves, God, these things have taken place in priority of my life. I want to put eternity back in the focus. I want to be somebody who participates in bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And fasting is a way for us to be in line with God, in line with the Holy Spirit, what he's doing. You might fast for a meal, and you might buy a homeless person a meal. You might be saying, I'm going to stop doing the one thing and replace it with prayer for my family, prayer for my kids, prayer for my, just my walk with God. And we want you not just to fast, but replace it with something else. So um, check out that fasting guide, uh, journal, take notes, take thoughts. Our hope is, guys, is just the church to say, Jesus, we're hungry. Like, Jesus, we're hungry for you. Like, fasting creates a real hunger. If you've ever fasted, like, you get really hungry. and It's probably one of the most least practiced disciplines, and I get it. It's not my favorite. But fasting creates this physical hunger, and you go, God, this physical hunger I'm feeling, I want hunger for you. The desire I have for food right now, I desire you. God, would you remind me that I shall not live off bread alone, but every word that proceeds from from your mouth. Man, fasting is a way for us to reorient our heart and our desires, to bring Christ back on the throne, to be about him, to be people who go, wow, this world really isn't about me, my needs, my desires, my flesh, my hunger. But God, how can I be a bringer of your kingdom? How can I pray for my neighbors who are lost? How can we invite people into a loving relationship with you? So I'm excited for our church to kind of, the year of spiritual health, to kick off with a fast. So um, this will start, I, you have to tell your spouse, you have to tell your small group. If not, you're probably not going to do it. So tell someone, here's how I'm going to fast, here's what I'm going to be doing, and uh, I would encourage you guys to be a part of that, and just see what the Lord can do. Maybe there's certain addictions in your life God wants to set you free from, fasting is a great, great way that God does that. So I'm excited to see what I do personally, collectively, as a church, as a community, as we pray ourselves South Florida. Amen? Cool. Please? like, no, not amen. Amen. Fasting. Today. Starting today, tomorrow. So that is that. Also, there is a prayer walk, and I said this wrong last service, but there is going to be a prayer walk we're going to do. It's going to be next Thursday, this prayer walk. We're going to meet at 7 o'clock at the Cove. The Cove is like a little shopping plaza in Deerfield. We're going to park our cars. We'll see a group of people. And we're just going to get out of our cars. I'm going to give you like a little paper with things to pray over. And two by two, we're just going to walk around Deerfield praying over South Florida. That's really it. And uh, we want to start off the year by a prayer, calling upon God, seeking God. And so if you've never done a prayer walk, it's not that strange. Your eyes are open. You're walking. You're praying over things. And it's really a fun, beautiful way to see people, to just pray over things you see. And, man, I love prayer walks and the vision God can give and what God can do in that. So please join us on that. Um, be a part of this. This is not like the super spiritual people do this. We want this to be so common that the, the common person goes, I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray for my community. I'm going to meet with other believers and just walk around and pray and encourage. And God does some really cool things even as you meet new people on prayer walk nights. I love those things. So that is happening next Thursday. You'll see that in our newsletter, social media. Just be aware. Cool? I know that's a lot. Everyone just go, yeah, you still with me? All right. Here we go. Uh, we're at Psalm 139, and, and here's the title today. Um, it's Spiritual Health Assessment. Um, you're like, that's not a great title. I know. Here's the point of today. As we talk about the year of spiritual health, I want this to be a time where we can truly allow the Lord to spiritually assess us, to assess our health. So here's my question, guys. How are you doing right now spiritually? Like, where are you at in your walk with God? Do you feel like you're in a place where you're thriving, you're growing in your faith, you're loving Jesus more? Maybe you feel like you're, you're in a place where you've taken, you know, two steps forward but three steps back. Like, you see some progress in your life, and then you kind of go back to your old ways, old tendencies, and you're like, God, I can't seem to grow. My hope is to, as a doctor would, when you see a doctor, to, like, diagnose you and assess you, my hope is that today the Holy Spirit, through his word, would assess us, our hearts. Where are you at with God? Like, where maybe in your life have you embraced something, some toxic behavior, some toxic relationship pattern, something into your life that's just, like, it's bringing up anxiety, it's just bringing up fear, it's causing you to worry about everything and anything, you feel like you can hardly breathe. My hope is that Jesus right now, today, as we start off our year, that we take on new rhythms, new patterns, new lifestyle, a new way of following just Jesus than maybe the way we tried in 2020. You know, 2020, like for all of us, it just wrecked my rhythms. You know, like my son was in school. The gyms were open. I could see my community group in person. And then like a period of a couple weeks, my community group was on Zoom, and the gyms were all closed, and my son was at my house, and the playgrounds were closed. And I was going, oh, my gosh, like where are my spiritual rhythms? And it was very difficult to find ways for me to just God, to give God time, to be in prayer, to be alone, to hear from God. And I had to like fight for that. And you might know what I'm talking about if you have little ones in your house during the pandemic. But my hope for us in 2021 is that we'd go into it with this resilient mindset of saying, Jesus, we're going to follow you. We're not going to compromise. God, we're going to be holy, set apart for you. Over and over again, the Bible has this theme of be holy as God is holy. And church, listen, when I talk about spiritual health— my hope is that God would like purge things out of your life today. Like maybe, honestly, there are relationships and patterns, behaviors, shows, music, people that are like really influencing your life, and you're realizing this is not bringing me closer to Jesus, but further from Jesus. And I'm gonna say, listen, we want to have a spiritual detox today. I don't know if you've ever had a detox. I don't know if everyone's ever tried a detox, like a cleanse. Ever tried a detox or cleanse? I try for half a day, and I get too hungry, and I just go back to food. But uh, here's the definition of a detox. A detox is a process or period of time in which one abstains from or rids the body of toxic or unhealthy substances. It's detoxification. Here's the idea. We need a spiritual detox. Just like people will take their physical detoxes really serious, and they'll spend a lot of money on juices and do a juice fast or juice thing and have a detox. I genuinely believe we need a spiritual and soul detox where God purifies and cleanses our spirit, our soul, things we picked up from 2020, Bad ha- patterns, habit, habits, behaviors, things that are just plaguing us. You maybe feel addicted to something in your life. And I'm just praying that God would bring a spiritual deep detox. Like honestly, guys, how many of you feel like you need a spiritual detox? Do you need a spiritual detox a cleanse? I do. I do. There's so many things I allow into my life that just take place. And God's like, no more. It's time to assess where you're at. And it's time for spiritual detox and cleanse. Amen? Now here's why. I, amen? Okay, so here's why Psalm 139. David does such a great job, man, such a great job of speaking about God, of writing about God in a theological way and in a very personal way. So stay with me. David addresses the head and the heart. David addresses actually some really big theological topics, but it's not just high, lofty doctrine. He makes it incredibly personal to where he's at in his walk with the Lord. So I don't know if you've ever met someone who's just like all head and no heart. Like they know the Bible, they can quote the Bible, but like they're not nice, they're not compassionate, they're not warm, they're not friendly, and you're like, ah, this isn't working. Or maybe you've met someone who's all heart and no head. They're friendly, they're warm, they're nice, they're sweet, but there's like no substance there. They, they don't know what they believe or why they believe it. They're just like, you know, there's that warmth there, there's the heart, but no head. David does a great job of speaking to the head and the heart. And he's like, God addresses the head, and God addresses the heart. Psalm 139 is incredibly theologically rich. It deals with the three omnis. You know, maybe you've heard of the omniscience of God, the the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God, the idea of this, and this should be up behind me, but the omniscience that God is all-knowing, omnipresent, that God is all-presence, he's everywhere-present. You know, you have God's omnipotence, he's all-powerful. David does a really good job of, like, speaking about this theologically, but then he gets it to the heart and says, and here's how that plays into my life. And here's how I want God to lead me. And so we want this to be like theologically rich, but just incredibly personal. So this, Psalm 139, I think is a great chapter for us to talk about the spiritual assessment that needs to take place in all of our lives. Like where are you at with God? Has God searched you? Has God tried you? Does God know you? Do you know where you're at with God? Has God revealed that to you? We want to spend some time in Psalm 139. Cool? Amen? Here's what we're going to do. Uh, because of the power and the weight of this text, it's a new year. I'm going to ask that all of you stand as we read the scripture, and then we'll pray and uh, look at this more in depth. Psalm 139, stand up for me as we read God's word. Psalm 139. Here's what David says, verse 1. You can just read it with me in your mind, in your heart, but follow with me. Psalm 139, verse 1, he says, "Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my "'Rising up, you understand my thought afar off. "'You comprehend my path and my lying down "'and are acquainted with all my ways, "'for there is not a word of my, my tongue, "'but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. "'You have hedged me behind and before. "'You laid your hand upon me. "'Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. "'It is too high. "'I cannot attain it.'" Verse seven, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your, uh, your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. I love that. Verse 13, David says, The days fashioned for me when as yet there is none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Remain standing. Let's just pray. Father, we are so grateful for this scripture, for this text God, that you know us completely and love us. God, that you are ever present with us. That, God, marvelous all your works. That you are all powerful. God, we ask that you would just speak and move. Jesus, I ask for all of us here who may be tired, we're anxious, we're exhausted. God, even starting in 2021, maybe we're still there. Jesus, I ask that you'd refresh us. God, that you would assess us. That you would show us where we're at. That, God, we would be right with you. We confess where we need to confess. We would would surrender what we need to surrender. That, Jesus, you would accomplish your work in our lives. We love you, and we thank you that you love us way more. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, um, for many of us, this is the time of year where we make New Year's resolutions, right? Like, this is that time people make New Year's resolutions. And for some of you, like, you love New Year's resolutions, like you've made them. For some of you, you hate them. You're like, bah humbug, I hate New Year's resolutions. I am curious, who here made a New Year's resolution? Like, did anyone make one? I'm just curious. Only a couple people in our church? Okay, okay, a few of you. And then some of you are like, how many of you are just like, I hate them. It makes no sense, and I never want to? Okay, all right. Uh, I can see how they're enticing. So this might be a good time for people to go, listen, I want to get in shape. I want to start eating better you know, I actually want to learn a new skill. I-, I would love to learn a new language. I'd love to pick up an instrument. Like, I can see why it's so enticing, um, but maybe you know this, that a lot of the New Year's resolutions that we create usually fail, and they fail pretty quickly, and I'm sure you've heard the numbers. But let me just read some to you. Listen to this, 30% of New Year's resolutions fail after two weeks. For two weeks, one third of you will be done. Some of you are like at day three, and you're like, I'm already done, I know. Um, 40% will fail after one month. And 60% of all resolutions fail after six months. That's what this study goes on to say. Oh, more than half is done by half the year. Now, you're like, Happy New Year. Why would you bring that up? That's kind of depressing. I know. Um, here's the idea. They, they go on to write, and many people write about this. Why do New Year's resolutions fail? Well, many reasons. One might be maybe the goal you created wasn't specific enough. Maybe you just kind of had a very vague goal. There was no plan attached to it. It's just a very, you know, general goal. And maybe it says you have the wrong goal. Maybe you heard someone else's goal, or their New Year's resolution, you're like, I kind of want that. So it wasn't personal, it wasn't yours, you kind of stole someone else's New Year's resolution. You know, a lot of us just make the wrong goals. And I want you to think about this. When it comes to New Year's resolutions or anything like that, Why is it that most of our resolutions are kind of external? They're physical. Like, I want to look better. I want a job promotion. I want to make more money. I want to learn a new skill. It's very, like, externally based, and it's very outward based. And not that that's necessarily wrong, but the question is, like, well, why? Like, what is that attached to? Like, what deeper thing is behind wanting more money? You know, not a lot of people have goals, like, I just want better character. I want to be a better dad or friend, or I want, to under, I want to follow Jesus more consistently. Like, a lot of our goals are not spiritually based or internally based, and I want to challenge that a little bit. You know, one pastor, his name is Francis Chan. Listen, he said this. He says, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Please hear that. Our greatest fear should not be failure. He says, your greatest fear should be success. Success at things that don't really matter—that should be the fear. You see, I think a lot of us have goals, but maybe we have the wrong goals. A lot of us have financial goals. Why? You want security. You want to feel safe. Money is your, what you're trusting, not God. Why do you want that promotion? Why do you want to move? Why do you want to, like, and any little desire that your heart has to go? Why? What is the heart thing attached to that? What is behind that? And usually, it's something that like wants to take the place of God. I want security. I want power. I want, well, I want this thing that will make me feel a certain way, and we think it's going to be to an external goal. Here's why I'm bringing all this up. Um, Guys, a lot of us don't make goals in life, even think about this physically. A lot of us don't make physical goals until something serious happens. You know, how many people get a bad report from the doctor, and then they're like, oh my gosh, I got to start eating well, right? You know, I went to the doctor last year, and like early in the year, and at the end of like the, finally, i had like an assessment. I can never really get these. And finally, you know, she said to me, she just I just want to tell you, you're not 21 anymore. And what I heard was, hey, fatty, take care of yourself, all right? Like, that's what I heard. Like, I got it. Like, okay, I can't just eat whatever I want, do whatever I want. Like, I get it. And it's sad. Like, that actually kind of woke me up. It's kind of like, oh, my gosh, I got to take things serious. Like, my health matters, right? Here's the thing. I don't want any of you to get to the place spiritually where your life is falling apart and you're like, oh, my gosh, I got to take this serious. I don't want you to get to the place where you're not spending time with God, you're not walking with God, your life's falling apart. And like, maybe now I should see God. Now when things are really bad. A lot of times people wait. So the doctor tells them, you have cancer, and they go, I better start eating right. I better start taking care of myself. My point's not that, that's not bad. My thing is, well, how can we be preventative? How can we be where I don't want our church to get to this place where you as individuals, followers of Jesus, to get to this place where your life is miserable, it's falling apart, your high anxiety, you don't know what you're living for, you're just pursuing every pleasure that comes to your mind, you're going, but God, why is my life falling apart? And then you're finally, maybe I should take my faith serious. I don't want you to get to that place. I would love for you to do it now. I would love for you to, right now, Say, you know what, I'm going to take my faith serious. I'm going to follow Jesus now. These compromises I'm allowing into my life, I'm not going to let compromise anymore. I'm not going to allow these things. I'm going to cut these out now. You know, I need a spiritual detox. These things are like ruining my life. So church, here's the hope today. The hope is that as we talk about the spiritual health assessment that we take the right steps to become spiritually healthy. So here's three components. I just want to walk through the text in Psalm 139 to get spiritually healthy. So here's the first point, if you are taking notes. Number one, spiritual health requires examination. Spiritual health requires examination. I know it's not that profound, but stay with me. Um, Again, when you go to the doctor to find out if you're healthy or sick, it requires examination. Same thing with spiritual health. Spiritual health requires an examination. Here's David's examination. Psalm 139, can we read verse one? Read it again with me, verse one through four. Psalm 139, David says, Lord, you have searched me and known me, and you know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Spiritual health requires examination. David's like, Lord, you know me, you've examined me, you've searched me, you, you know me, you've tried me. You know where I'm at with you. You know with the things in my life that are unhealthy. You know the things in my life that keep me from growing. God, you know my motives. You know what I think. You know what I say before I even say it. He said, God, you know everything about me. There is a spiritual assessment taking place, the spiritual examination that's taking place. This word search, if you would circle it, the word search, like, Lord, you have searched me, it literally means to examine with pain and care. He's going, God, you've searched me and it's been painful, but yet you've done it with care. This search, when God searches you guys, when God goes into your life and really tries to put his finger on those idols that you love, the relationships you love, the things that maybe are toxic to you, sometimes when God brings that to the surface, it's painful, the searching process of, of God, like we, if you've ever been alone with God and just praying and talking to God, like God, can you just reveal to me sins I don't see? And God starts to actually reveal to you things, patterns, character, things you've done. It's, it can be incredibly painful, right? I mean, sometimes that, that searching process is painful. You know, um, I don't know if you've had yet to go get checked for, for COVID. Can I say the word COVID? I don't know if you've gotten checked yet um, or had to get that, you know, swab up your nose. Um, I had to get checked. I got two different tests, came back clean. So if you hear a little cough, I'm good. Um, but I had to get checked recently. And when I'm, I'm getting checked, they put the thing in my nose. I'm such a baby with these things. i like, ah, ah. And he's like, the guy doing it goes, hey, it's not that bad. And I'm like, let me do it to you, bro. Like, that was, I did not like that. And then they had another one. The other one was, like, really thin, and I swear it, like, touched my eyeball. It was just, ah. Uh. Now, here's the thing. When you're being searched, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes you go, ah, Lord, you're searching me, and that's really, that's, that's painful. But like I tell you, it says to search, and it means, again, with pain and care, that God is not, that person who just shoves it up. God is a gentle physician. It's going to be painful at times, but God delicately goes, I also want to bring this. I know it hurts to see this in your life, this character, this attitude, this thing. It hurts when I'm bringing it up with care. I'm gentle. I'm good to you as I reveal it to you. I'm telling you, God might need to reveal some things, guys. Listen, if we want to get spiritually healthy, we need to be examined. Here's the thing. Um, When it comes to spiritual growth and discipleship and being formed into the image of Jesus by the power of the Spirit, it will be painful at times, and God will do it with care. But let me say this. It is so important for our growth to to just be self-aware of where we're at with God. You know, a lot of people write about this idea of being self-aware. Maybe you've read that in different books. The Bible talks about this God-awareness, God making you self-aware of where you're at with Him. And it's incredibly necessary. I have a few quotes I want you just to listen and let this, like, sink into your heart. Uh, Here's what St. Augustine said. He says, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? He wrote in Confessions, grant, Lord, that I may know myself that I may know thee. Listen, he goes, how can you be close to God when you're far from yourself? Grant, O Lord, that I may know myself so I can know you. I want to know where I'm at so I can know you. Here's how one person said it. Uh, She wrote, Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. Please hear that. Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a a lack of self-knowledge. If you're going, there's spiritual issues and things out of whack in my life, maybe it's like you're unaware of what that's doing to you. Maybe right now you're allowing things in your life, and you're unaware of how that's affecting you, how that's bringing up more anxiety, more fear. Maybe the things you're watching, the things you're taking in, what it's doing to you, it's shaping you, it's forming you. And here's the thing, we need to become aware of those things. We need to become aware of what those things might be doing that are leading us away from Jesus. John Calvin said this, last one, he says, Our wisdom, listen, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. I love that. He's like, there's two things we know, the knowledge of God and knowledge of ourself. And is it, I realize how sinful I am, I need God, or I, I see God, I realize how sinful I am. He's like, we need the knowledge of God, the knowledge of self. The point I'm trying to bring up is you see this self-awareness. You see this, we must know where we're at, because we all have blind spots. We all have areas in our life where we're just unaware of things that are plaguing us, hurting us, affecting us. Like, you might not know, you're terrible at conflict. You're terrible about, you know, see, looking someone in the eyes and saying, I'm sorry. You might have something in your life that's just really plaguing you, hurting you, and God's trying to make you aware of that, saying this is hurting your relationships. This is hurting your walk with me. And listen, when it comes to spiritual health assessment, my hope is to, in a sense, search with, you know, with pain and care, to bring things up where it's like, Lord, what is it you want to do in this moment? Can I tell you something incredible about this? David goes, God, you've searched me, you've known me, you've tried me, you know my motives, you know my thoughts, you know everything, and here is the point, and yet God loves him. You know, the thing that's interesting to me is if you ever want to truly be loved, you must be known. You know, one way to put it is um, we want to be known, but we also don't want to be known by people. Like, you want people to know who you are, but in reality, you really don't want people to know who you are. You know, it's like, I want you guys to know me, but then there's like, but well, what if they know this about me? What if they know that my parents and I got to get better? Like, what if they know certain things about you guys? Like, I want to know you. And you want to be known, but it's like, but what if Josiah, what if these people, what if my friend group, what if my community, like we want to be known, but we don't want to be known. But here's the idea. If you ever want to be truly loved, they have to know everything about you in a sense. Meaning, um, so think about best marriages. Nothing's hidden from my wife. My wife knows everything. She knows everything. She truly knows me and she loves me. She truly sees the good, the bad, the ugly, and yet she fully embraces me. You know, if you want someone to love you, but you don't give them the full truth, do they really love you? That's the question. If you give someone a projected version of yourself like you put only the good things out there and you're like and they really love me it's like yeah but do they know you? The point is God fully knows us and fully loves us. God knows the good, the bad, the ugly, the secret things, the thoughts, the things you want no one's ever know. God's like I see that and I love you. You are fully known and fully loved. And it's like, I don't know if you could truly be fully loved until you're fully known. God, it goes, I fully know you, I fully accept you, and I fully love you. And that's a beautiful place to be in. God's like, my omniscience, my knowledge of everything is not to shame you. How precious are God's thoughts towards you? You are fully known and fully loved by our creator. And that's to be a beautiful truth that sets you free. Because the things in your past, the things you've done, the things you want known to know about, God's like, yeah, I know, and I still am madly in love with you. I still deeply care for you. You see, spiritual health requires an assessment. It requires to know where you're at. David's like, you've examined my ways. And I want to talk through some of these ways. So I want to kind of take what David said in like a corporate to us. He says this, you've examined his thoughts. So here's my point, examine your thoughts. What David said is this, you understand my thought afar off. Listen, listen, church, examine your thoughts David said, you understand my thoughts afar off. I want you to start thinking about what you're thinking about. All right, examine your thoughts. What is it you're thinking about? How is it you're thinking? Like, are you the kind of person that... When you meet someone, you're critical, you're cynical, you're judging, you're assessing them, you're thinking how you're better than them. Or when you meet someone, is you're thinking, like, how can I love them? How can I serve them? How can I be like Jesus to them? You know, they're a person who God created and God loves. They're a person made in God's image. My point is, how are you thinking? Think about what you're thinking about. He goes, God, you know my thoughts are far off. Listen, God examines your thoughts. I don't know if we, I know we know that, but do we know that? Like, I want you to bring your thoughts to God. Like, God, here's what I'm thinking about. Of course he knows, but there's something so healthy about going, God, I'm thinking this way, and it's either, it's it's hurting me, it's self-destructive, or just, God, I just want you to know my thoughts. Um, Here's what the Proverbs says. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Listen to this. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. There's a lot that's written about our thought life from believers and from non-believers and I think non-believers take this truth as a biblical truth. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So here's the idea. What is that, that thing you're thinking? What's that self-talk? What's that thing you're thinking of? Do you tell yourself, man, I am made by God in God's image for God's glory and God fully loves me? Is that the thought? As a man thinks, so is he. Or you're thinking to yourself, God could never love me. I've done too much. I've blown it too much. You have no idea what I've done, Josiah. So God can never accept me and love me. So is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I want you to understand what God says about you. I want you to change and start thinking about what you're thinking about. I think this is incredibly important for us as followers of Jesus. One author says, your life will always move in the direction of its strongest thoughts. Let's say that. Your life will always move in the direction of its strongest thoughts. So if you're telling yourself these lies, your life's going to move in the direction of those lies. If you're telling yourself the truth of God's word, it's going to start moving in the direction of that your life will always move in the direction of its strongest thoughts. This is incredible. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. David goes, God, you know my thoughts are far off. Examine your thoughts. Bring your thoughts to God. This is so important for us. One author, and it's kind of like unknown who said this, but they said it this way. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. We need to hear that. It all began with a thought. This thought turned into this person's decision. It turned into an action, a habit, a character, and their destiny. I think this is so true. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Church, like I want us to start really taking captive our thoughts, those lies. We tell ourselves those lies. Others tell us the things we read, the things we pick up, social media news, the things we're taking in. You're going, is this true? Is this God's word? Is this lovely? Is this noble? Is it of good report? Lord, I don't want to meditate on it if it's not. I want to meditate on those things, on the truth of who you are, what you've done. I can't stress enough, you guys, how important our thought life is and how the battle begins in our thoughts. And the thought I have, the strongest thought I have usually leads to my action. Hey, no one will see. No one will know. It'll lead to that kind of an action. Hey, God sees, God loves, and I want to be aware. That I'm just saying, your thought life is so incredibly important. And David's like, God, you've searched my thoughts afar off. I think it was Warren Wiersbe who said it this way, but our thoughts determine our outcome. And I think that's such, again, it's just truth. It's just based off Proverbs 23. Our thoughts determine our outcome. Like, so what what are you thinking about? How are you thinking? How is it affecting you? I want to encourage you when he goes, try me, know my anxieties, God. What thoughts are you giving place to that are creating even more anxieties? And David's like giving God place and room to say, okay, God, you've already searched my thoughts. i bring these thoughts to you. Listen, examine your thoughts. But not only that, David says, examine my speech. Examine your speech. Here's how he says it. He says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. I love that. Like God, even before I say it, God's like, I know it. Listen, examine your speech. Our speech will so often reveal our spiritual health. Like what you're saying is a reflection of what's in your heart. Jesus said it, and he said it this way in Luke chapter six, uh, 6, verse 45. Jesus says, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's like, hey, the good man, the good heart, will speak good things. Hey, a wicked heart will speak wicked things. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, when someone's like, yo, it's not a big deal what I just said. It's like, no, it just revealed your heart. It's crazy how our tongue reveals our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, I I wrote it down this way like years ago, but out of the abundance of the heart, the fingers tweet. I just think like, out of the abundance of the heart, man, that's what's gonna come out. It's gonna come out on Facebook, social media. It's gonna come out in some way, some form. And it's crazy, but it's not a big deal. I just said this, like there's freedom of speech, right? Like don't we have freedom of speech? Like of course you do, but it's just revealing your hearts. And Jesus is saying, examine, when David says, you know my thoughts, or my, my speech before I even speak it, he's basically saying, God, you know my heart. You know what's going on in my heart. Listen, I want to encourage you in this moment when you're trying to be spiritually assessed, say, God, I'm going to give you my speech. Examine my speech. Examine my heart. What's coming out of it? What's in your heart? What are you placing in your heart? And not only that, but we see here, examine your faith. Listen, examine your faith. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 said one of the heaviest verses, I think, in the entire Bible, but he said it this way. He says, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Do you hear that? Paul's like, you need to examine yourself. You need to test yourself to whether or not you're in the faith. He was speaking to a church that was pretty morally corrupt for the most part. Like they were trying to follow Jesus as best they could, but going back to their idols, going back to paganism. And he's like, listen, you need to examine yourself. Test yourself whether or not you're in the faith. Listen, for some, and maybe for all, this is completely necessary. Have you had a season where you're like, Jesus, am I, really, am I really all in? Like, not just do I believe you died and rose again, but like, does my life reflect that? Am I all in? I trust in that. It exudes into every area, every fabric of my being. Examine yourself. Test yourself. I want to say for some of you, examine yourself. Guys, listen, my heart is incredibly wicked. Like, you got to know this. Being a follower of Jesus means I've been born again, and I have a whole new nature in me. And so, yes, there's this new nature, this new nature God has given me. To want to love, to want to serve, to want to give, to want to do things I would not naturally do. But there's still the old nature. The old nature is Josiah. So there's Jesus Christ in me, and then there's still Josiah Graves. And guys, I'm a filthy sinner. I'm broken. I'm messed up. And can I tell you, if I feed my spirit, I'll watch my spirit grow. If I feed my flesh, I'll watch my flesh go, grow. And I'm bringing this up for this point. That you and I need to take some time and examine your faith. Examine your hearts. Like, examine where you're at. You know, there's a famous verse that's quoted. It's Jeremiah 17, 9, but we always forget verse 10. I want to read it to you. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Do you hear that? He's like, listen, the heart of man is wicked. My heart's wicked. The heart of people is wicked. And he goes, but I, the Lord, I test the heart. I search the heart. I know, Here, here's the thing. There's something healthy about getting alone with God and saying, God, you know me, you know where I'm at. Reveal those blind spots to me. God, Those things I can't see in my life, the things that is taking me away from you. Why, why are you cast down on my soul, David asks? Why are you depressed? Why are you anxious? Why are you feeling this way? God, examine me, assess me, test me. I wanna know those things in my life that are out of whack, that are out of order. I wanna put you back on the throne. When you do this, watch that spiritual health begin. You need to go to a doctor to find out like where you're sick or where you're unhealthy, or what your blood work is. And this is what the Lord's trying to do for us. He's saying, hey, I want to assess you. I want to show you. I want to try you, test you, know you. I know your thoughts. I know your motives. I know your speech. Church, bring that to Jesus. Say, Jesus, know me. Listen, God is not looking for perfect people. God is looking for pure vessels. God is not looking for someone who's perfect and flawless. Absolutely not. God is looking for a vessel that says, Lord, purify me, purge me. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 5 says that, uh, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the idea was, we don't really cook here, so no one like probably knows like that kind of leaven, but he's like, man, a little bit of leaven in bread, like it just expands it. just expands it. A little leaven gets in, and it expands the whole thing. And here's the idea. He's like, sin, man, when it gets into your life, watch it just a little bit get in, and expand in a big way. And guys, what are those little things we're letting in, and God's like, purge it, detox it, cleanse it, cut it out, assess it. Listen, church, I want to see your church be spiritually healthy with Jesus. And I'll say this, it requires examination. And I always say, invite the Lord into that process. Lord, search me. You've known me. You've tried me. You've tested me. And not not only that, but let's say with me, number two is this. Spiritual health begins with God's presence. And this is so key. Spiritual health, it requires examination. But it's not something you do. You need to sit at the feet of Jesus and be in God's presence and watch you get healthy. So let's just read. It's uh, verse 7 through 10. Here's what the author says. Number two, spiritual health begins with God's presence. Read verse 7 with me. David goes on to say, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, God, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Listen, spiritual health begins with God's presence. I want to say this. This is not some vague um, thing of just God. is like everywhere. We, we know that. Like, we get that. Sometimes I think people, when we talk about the presence of God, think of God like a gas in the room. And it's like, okay, I know there's a gas in the room. Like, I know God's in the room. Like, we always talk about God like he's like Santa Claus. Like, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. For goodness sake, I don't know how it goes. But like, we talk about God kind of in those, in those terms. And, and I want to say the presence of God is, is so, it's not like a gas in the room. We gotta understand something about the presence of God. You know, we have the only faith in the world that really does believe and claim God left heaven and he entered earth. God actually entered into creation. God knows what it's like to suffer, to bleed, to die. God has friends who he loved deeply who passed away. You see, God is with you. In a, I think, more than just like an esoteric sense, that God's with you. I believe what Jesus said in Matthew 28 is so important. He goes, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. I, we got to understand that Jesus is with us. He's with you in your pain. He's with you in your suffering. He's with you in the confusion. He's with you in the anxieties. He's absolutely with you. And not just that, but I say he's also present. Like he's, like tangibly present. The, the Bible talks about the kingdom of God is here. I don't know if we fully get that. I don't know if I fully get that. That the kingdom of God is not just one day, but it's also here. It's already not yet. It's idea that God is already ruling and reigning. See, I want to point something out to you. Um, Whenever there was like a crisis in the Bible and people were calling upon God, they were not theologically content to know that God was just there in some sort of omnipresent way. They wanted a tangible presence of God. It's like Moses going, God, show me your glory. I want to see you. It's it's like um, Elijah seeing the wind and the fire and like, I want to hear, I want to be, I want to experience the presence of God. Like I want the tangible presence of God. There's something incredibly humbling about this. Isaiah in Isaiah 64, verse 1, he he put it this way. He says, Oh God, that you would render the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. Like it's not enough to know, God, that you're just there. Would you just rip through the heavens and come down? Like, God, we need your presence. You know, there was a famous monk, it's weird to say a famous monk, but in the 15th century, he went by Brother Lawrence. And he didn't write a book. He just wrote some letters to different people and they compiled them into a book. And it turned into a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Please listen, please stay with me. Practicing the Presence of God. It was the number one selling book outside of the Bible during its time. I mean, people were just buying this book like crazy going, who is this guy? How does he have this deep communion with God? He said this, he says, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. There's nothing more delightful to the soul than just this ongoing conversation with God. Listen, we don't need to yell and scream and go, God, where are you? You can whisper because God's there. I don't have to yell for God to hear me. Can I tell you, you know, it's cool. I can whisper. I can pray. I can whisper in my heart my mind. And God's like, I hear that. Why? Because he's nearer than we believe. God is way nearer than you think. God is with you. God is present. Way closer than you and I can comprehend. This is so important for us. He, he also said it this way. One need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. We don't need to cry out very loudly. He's nearer to us than we think. There's something so beautiful about God's presence. Listen, stop trying to work and get God's favor or God's approval. Just be with God. Spiritual health comes from just being with God. God's not like, wow, look at all the things you do. Now you're a spiritual giant. Just be with him. It's not so much, but God. Look, I do this, I do this, I give this. Just be with God. Dispute Him. Practice His presence. Call upon Him. He's nearer than you think. It's David saying, "Lord, you said to me, seek Your face, and I said in my heart, my, Your face, Lord, I will seek." David said in Psalm 16, "I've always set the Lord before me." There's just something about God. I just want You. I just want You. I just want to be with You. You know, Jesus talks about He is the vine, and we're connected to the vine, and we bear fruit. The point being, if you want to bear fruit, just be with Jesus. Like, it's not about doing things or being proactive. This is so hard for us as, like, Westerners, as Americans. You know, we want to feel like, man, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Look what I built. Look who I became. It and it goes everything against which, in which we're taught and wired. It says, no, no, no. It just has nothing to do with what you've done. Just rest at the feet of Jesus. Just enjoy Jesus. You know, one of the things I tell my son, I'm like, Michael, why are you here on earth? And he goes, why? And I go, just to enjoy Jesus and glorify Jesus. Just enjoy him. Enjoy him. I want to start there. Not even get to glorify you. I said, just enjoy Jesus. And just enjoy Jesus. Be in his presence. Sit at his feet. Spend time with him. Seek him. Seek who he is. Seek his presence, not what he can do for you. This is what we're getting at. That God's presence is everywhere, so why flee from it? See, Oswald Chambers said, We slander God by our very eagerness to work for him without knowing him. So many of us try to work for God, but you don't know God. Don't work for God, know him. We first need to know him. So here's what David says. He goes, God, your presence, here's what it did for him. Um, It shaped my being and it shaped my identity. Look what he said in verse 13. David says, for you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Church, we hear this. He goes, God, this is incredible. When I was in my mother's womb, you were with me. You formed me. You shaped me. As I was in her womb, God, you were you're, you're present with me. He's not changing topics. He's going, God, your, your presence is everywhere, and your presence was even with me in my mother's womb. Your presence is what shaped me and formed me. It shaped my being. It shaped my identity. Obviously, as followers of Jesus, we are incredibly pro-life because we're going, God shaped Jesus in the womb. He, God shaped John the Baptist in the womb. God shaped you and I in the womb. That It says in the book of Luke that the Holy Spirit filled John the Baptist while he was still in his mother's womb. My point with this is look at, look at this ver- verse for God for us. He goes, I sh- my presence was there and I shaped you and I formed you. Can I tell you this, guys? We don't ever leave that. God's presence still shapes us and forms us. God's presence shaped us and formed us in the womb. And if you allow it this day, God's presence is what shapes us and forms us. And David even goes on to say, God's presence, listen, it reveals his thoughts about us. Do you know that just by being with God, spending time with God, you get a better idea of what God says and thinks about you, how God feels about you, just by spending time with him? In verse 17, David goes on to say, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. I don't know if you had like a you know, mom growing up that kind of had like those precious promises, little cards, and it had like Bible verses on it. My mom didn't. But um, no, this card, this is like the number one card, like beyond a mirror. Think like how precious are your thoughts to me, oh God. It's kind of like over cheesy, Hallmark kind of a verse. But honestly, if you just take it in, it's incredibly beautiful. This word precious, it's literally inferring to rubies, diamonds, precious metals, saying, God, your thoughts about me are more precious than anything on earth the way you think about me, the way you feel about me. I can't even count the sum of them. They're more than the sand of the sea, God. God's presence, when you spend time with God and you're in God's presence, all those lies you believe, all those lies you tell yourself, watch them dissipate because you'll get to know the thoughts and heart of God for you. Like really think about this. There's a lie you and I believe. I think a lie a lot of us tell ourselves is I am what other people think I am. I am what other people say. I am what other people think. You know what the Bible says? You are what God says you are. You are what God says you are. God says you are a new creation in Christ. God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says his works are marvelous and you are a marvelous work. God says some pretty incredible things about you. When you spend time in the presence of God, the lies we tell ourselves, what, what maybe people think or feel, we create these scenarios, those dissipate in the presence of God. Why so badly want you church to be in the presence of God? Because I want you to know how God thinks about you. I want you to know how God feels about you. I want you to know God's thoughts towards you. That can only come from being in the presence of God. I can preach up here all day and say, God says this about you. But until you're alone with Jesus, spending time in silence, in solitude, in prayer, getting away from all the chaos of the world, until you're alone and God says, hey, he says your name, you're mine. I paid a price for you. I love you. Nothing will separate you from my love. Nothing. That I can preach it all day long, but until you experience that and walk in that and have Jesus' thoughts be just implanted into your heart, I mean, there's nothing like it. I can't force that. I can't even teach that. All I can say is I beg you to get alone with Jesus in the presence of God. Spiritual health begins with the presence of God. We're connected to the vine. We're connected to Jesus. That's how we bear fruit. That's how we bear spiritual health. Church, there's nothing more important you can ever do in your entire life than just being with Jesus. Do you get that? There's nothing more important in your entire life than just being with Jesus. Not even what you do for Jesus. I don't care. He doesn't care. I genuinely believe what matters the most is like, are you with Jesus? Jesus in John 15 made it so clear. Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. I just want I just want to spend time with you. And it's funny, I think about this with my son. I try to think of things to do with him because he's five and he's little and I have to like think of things to do with him because he needs to be entertained. But in reality I do that because I just want to be with him. I don't care what we're doing. What well, do if I get like stuck playing really weird little kid games that kind of bugs me? But you know, I don't care, right? There's a side of it where it's just like I just want to I just want to hang out. I just want to be with you, dude. Like, what do you want to do? I don't care. Like I just want to, what do you want to do? There's a point where it's like not so much what you do for God, God's like, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you, that's it. How precious are your thoughts to me? I think we'd have a lot less anxiety, fear, if we knew God's thoughts for us. You need to know the thoughts of God. It's funny, my, my son was in his room uh, and he runs out and he's scared. He's like, ah! And I'm like, what's wrong? He runs in the living room. I'm like, dude, what's up? He's like, oh, I was thinking of something scary. And I'm like, what were you thinking of? He's like, I was thinking of Beauty and the Beast. And I got really scared and I ran out to you. I'm like, Beauty and the Beast? I don't even know what. Anyways, I was like, all right, that's weird that that scared you. But like, I'm like, all right, dude. And I did come studying for this. I go, I want you to think about how much God loves you. Go back in your room. He's like, no! And I'm like, no, just think about something different. My, my point, though, is like, it's crazy how our thoughts manipulate our behavior. Our thoughts change us, it scares us, it freaks us out. Meditate on the things of God. Do what God says about you, do what God thinks about you. Rather than me tell him, why don't you let him tell, him tell you? That's where spiritual health begins. Amen, church? And here's the last thing. Spiritual health, it requires examination. It begins with God's presence. But what David shows us is spiritual health, listen, it is invitational, invitational and practical. It's both an invitation and it's incredibly practical. What do I mean? Look down, Psalm 139, verse 23. Would you look down with me? He says this, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way or any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you hear this? The Psalm begins with, God, you have searched me. Like that was past tense. You just did it, God. And it was like almost painful when you read it. And then he goes, but God, search me. Like continue to do this, like God. That was really painful, but David's almost like, but you know what? I liked it. I needed it. God, do it again. God, do it again. Search me. It begins with God. You just you just did this. You just searched me. You God. Maybe maybe you didn't pursue God. Maybe you, there's a and I, I realize that's for everyone. But maybe you realize at some point in time, God just did something in your life, and you're like, oh my gosh, you're you're awake and you're aware of God. God searched you out. He sought you out. He, he did something in you, and you're like, oh my gosh. But then, can I tell you what happens? You go, God, do that again search me again, try me again, know me again. There's this invitation to God, God, find out if there's any wicked way in me. God, I invite you into every area of my life. God, my sexuality is yours. God, my my money is yours. My relationships are yours. There's nothing off limits for you, God. God, search me. I'm inviting you in. It's saying, God, you have every right into every area of my life. Church, you close off any area to God. God, you can have this, this, and this, but don't you dare touch that. You can search anything you want, but don't go in that room. And the idea, he's like, God, search me. I've experienced it as you've searched me. It's cleansed me. It's purged me. It's tried me. It's tested me. It's purified me. God, search me again. Try me. Find out if there's any wicked way in me. Guys, listen, I want to encourage you to invite the presence of God into your life, to invite God in. Say, God, there's nothing off limits. Like, honestly, today, could you imagine if every believer ever just said, Jesus, there's nothing off limits. What does he want to purge? What does he want to reveal? What does he want to do? Where, where am I believing a lie? Where am I, I'm giving a, a stronghold over, am I truly believing the sin over you? God, I'm giving you a place in every area of my life. This is what David's doing. He's saying, God, you have every right into every area of my life. Listen, I wanna encourage you all to give God this invitation into your life. Say, God, it's yours. Search me, do what you want. I invite you in. I invite you into every nook and cranny of my life. It's all yours, God. There's something so healthy about this. And this, this too, it's incredibly practical. David says, lead me in the way of everlasting. Not just search me, try me, test me, but he goes, God, now lead me in the way of everlasting. Like, I don't want you just to reveal those things to me. I want to know the path now you have me on. Like, I want to know the way of everlasting. Let's just talk about this for a second. Jesus is the way, right? So the way of everlasting is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life. If you believe in me, though you die, you shall live. The way of everlasting is Jesus. Now, so let me be really clear. There is the way of Jesus, and then there's the way of the world. There's the way of Jesus and there's the way of death. Actually, Proverbs 14, 12, listen to how he puts it. He says, there's a way that seems right to man, but uh, its that's end is the way of death. Listen to that. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end is way is the way of death. I don't know if you've ever tried that. You go, God, I've tried my way, I've done life my way, I've done things I want to do, and it led to death. There's a way that seems right to a man. Then there's the way of death. That leads to death. And then he says, but lead me the way of everlasting. So let's, let's compare and contrast. There's the way of death. There's the way of everlasting. The way of everlasting. Jesus is the way. But can I tell you, there's like a way to Jesus. No one's going to heaven because of what they've done. Everything. We're going to heaven because of what Jesus did for us. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Absolutely. But Je- Jesus is the way. But there's also a way to following Jesus Jesus in Matthew seven fourteen, he said, he put it this way, "'Difficult is the way which leads to life, "'and there are few who find it.'" Church, please listen to this. He's going, I am the way, but you know what? There's a way to following me. Difficult is the way. There's a way to the life of Jesus. There's the way of everlasting, and there's a way that seems right to the man, and so the way is death. Here's why I'm bringing this up. We do have two options. If you've been trying your way for a while, and you go, I'm exhausted, man. My way has only led to death. My way is only led to more anxiety, more fear, more pain, more loss, more grieving. Jesus offers us another way. There's the way of everlasting. And I want us to take this to heart. You know, it's been said, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, church, adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You know, Jesus, where he's known for getting away, for going to be alone, to pray, to wake up early. Jesus quote the Word of God. He knew the Word of God. He studied the Word of God. He hid it in his heart. Jesus loved and served people. There's a way to Jesus, and this is the way of everlasting. This is not the way to salvation. Jesus is salvation. I, I fully get that. But Jesus says, I will give you life and life more abundantly. Listen, there's a way to living that leads to an abundance of life. There's a way to living where you go, I'm not living in fear and anxiety and pain anymore. There truly is a way to Jesus, a lifestyle to Jesus to reorient our lives around the way of Jesus. Let me just, let me just hear this out. Dallas willard a pastor says we can listen we can through faith and grace become like christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in, in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of his father we too can arrange our lives around the way of jesus his rhythms his practices his lifestyle church this is why we create something called the discipleship pathway as a church It's like, we want to reorient our lives around the way of Jesus. How do we be with Jesus? How do we learn from Jesus? How do we do what Jesus did? We want to reorient our lives around this. I do want to recommend a couple things to you guys. In the year of 2021, as we start out the way of Jesus, the spiritual healthy life, let me encourage you guys. There's a couple books. One's called Soul Keeping. And another is called The Life You've Always Wanted by the same author, John Ortberg. And these books are basically on like spiritual disciplines. It's basically on like, how do we incorporate these things into our daily life? How do we realize that God has given you a soul and how do you take care of it? How do you keep it? What are those rhythms you involve into your life, your daily life? Listen, church, I want to right now for a second just go back to basics. When it comes to following Jesus, we can complicate it. But there are certain spiritual disciplines and practices that are non-negotiable. They're non-negotiable. Not that these things will save you, but there are certain practices and disciplines that need to be non-negotiable in our life for life and life more abundantly. Not to be saved, but to truly experience the life Jesus wanted us to experience. So I'm going to share these with you. They're not rocket science, but will you just take a a listen? And like, I hope this can be sunk into your heart. Here's the the first thing. So consistent spiritual practices that are non-negotiable. Here's the first one. Daily Bible reading and prayer. Like what a non-negotiable is for every follower of Jesus. Listen, this does not save you, but this will lead to the way of everlasting, the idea of life and life more abundantly. This is, this is what David's seeking after. God, I want to know what way I'm walking, and I want to walk in a different way. And listen, be daily, daily, daily. You, be in the Word and in prayer. You know, the Bible app has some great Bible reading plans. You can pick up the Bible in a year. That's a little too much for me. I try to do two years. Try to read at your pace. What might interest you? I would say, but daily Bible reading and prayer. Silence, solitude, getting alone, meditation on Scripture, taking the Word of God, chewing it over, thinking it over, applying it to your life. That's just a non, that's, a, that's an essential. That's a non-negotiable. It's for every follower of Jesus. Here here is the second thing. Uh, Jesus-centered community. Like, listen, we all have community. We find it. We find it in sports. We find it in gaming. You can find community in all sorts of things. Um, Find community centered around Jesus. People that will love you, challenge you, push you, ask you tough questions, be there for you, meet your needs. Find a Jesus-centered community. A community that will just uh, push you closer to Jesus. This is something that early church did very well. They met, it says, in the temple and in house to house. They met in large group and they met in small group. And I want to say, make this a part of your weekly rhythm. This is non-negotiable, I I genuinely believe, to be in healthy biblical community. Next is this. It's what we're doing here. It's weekly gathering of believers. It's through study, worship, communion. It's what Jesus describes, what Paul described in in the book of Titus and Timothy's. The idea of you have pastors, elders, deacons, you have people preaching the word of God, praying over each other, taking communion, hearing one message and, and applying it into our lives daily. This, is a part of, this should be part of every believer's rhythm. I know the pandemic has changed that, but I would encourage those watching online, if you can and if it's safe and healthy enough, come back in person. Make this a part of your rhythm. Don't make excuses. This needs to be a part of our just weekly rhythms. Here's the next thing, Sabbath. This is the one thing I think I've kind of neglected a lot. And the more I neglect it, the more I see my life falling apart. Is When I, when I don't Sabbath, I see these things falling out of order in my life. Sabbath is a way for you to enjoy Jesus, rest in Jesus, worship Jesus, take a day off from work. Maybe it's time to be with your family, do life-giving things. Might be going to the gym. For me, it's like going to the gym, playing basketball. Things that'll actually bring you life that's good for the soul. It's good Sabbath. It can look and play out differently. But it's a sense of like you're investing in your family. You're with your family. You're enjoying your family. You're enjoying what God created. You're enjoying him. But we need Sabbath, man. We need this. Without Sabbath, you're going to burn out and fall apart spiritually. Next, I would say, uh, is incredibly important, is giving and generosity, when it comes to following Jesus, a rhythm that we need in our lives is being generous, is giving. You know, I would say when I've really seen someone encounter the gospel of Jesus and God has grabbed hold of their heart and rescued them from sin, hell, death, and they've appreciated that and they go, God, you've been so good to me. You've given me so much. How can I not give to you? Generosity is just like this natural thing that happens. It can't be manipulated into. You just realize, God, you've been so good, I'm going to give back. You know, to be honest, like obviously this is one of those things where younger generation of Christians struggle with this. Maybe they don't trust leadership, they don't trust the local church, so they try to withhold, or maybe it's just a way to make an excuse to not have to give. But giving is an incredible way to say, God, I trust you, not wealth. All of us tend to want wealth because we want security, we want safety, and what we're really saying is, God, I trust my money, I don't trust you. Generosity is a way for God to loosen your grip on your money and say, God, it's all yours. It's God, I trust you above my wealth, my finance. you're my future, not my money. Generosity is a way for us to reflect the gospel of Jesus. God's so love he gave, we get to give. I would say make this part of your rhythm. If you're not a believer in Jesus, no need to give. Of course not. But this is something younger generations, I think, have struggled with. Next, I would say what needs to be a part of our rhythm is just worship, guys. Worship. Listen, spiritual health, these rhythms. Worship, singing, writing psalms, like writing in a journal, whatever it might be. Singing in your car, worship. I know worship is a lifestyle, but I truly mean praise and song and singing like the psalmists. Like, that's why we come together. That's why we start with worship and praise, to join in with all of creation and the angels, to join them in Worship. Make this a part of your rhythm, just your daily life, your weekly life. And then I would say the last two is this serving or mercy ministry, meaning be a part of serving. you receive now serve. Maybe it means you're serving your community. Maybe it means you're helping homeless people. You're in convalescent ministry. You're doing justice. You're doing mercy. You're doing the things God has given us. It could mean serving here at your church. I would say make this a part of your rhythm. And then lastly, we see this idea of gospel conversations. That I'm just putting it as, you know, sometimes evangelism can be so daunting. Just have conversations with, with people. Introduce them to Jesus. Just talk about it just nonchalantly, just like it's normal. It doesn't need to be like you go straight for the throat, and like if you died today, you know where you'd be. Maybe that you need to ask that question, but maybe you just need to have like true gospel conversations with people and you're like, man, God is so good. Let me just tell you what he's done and just make it normal. Here's why I'm bringing this up. This sounds like a list of things to do. There is a rhythm and lifestyle and way to following Jesus. The strongest believers I know, they just spend time with Jesus. They Sabbath well, they worship well, they study well, they pray well, they go on walks with the Lord. My thing is, like, I would love for us to be spiritually healthy. I I haven't seen people be spiritually healthy without practicing these things. I'm not saying if you do these things, you're going to be spiritually healthy. I'm not saying if you do these things, you're going to be saved. I'm just saying people who are spiritually healthy do these things. And I would just say, make it a part of your life. Make it a part of your rhythm. Make it a part of your practice. View this as a non-negotiable thing. Like, this is like a rule of life, a way to live by. You're kind of looking at this saying, you know what comes before school, my work, community? Know what comes before um, me saving for my future, giving? My thing is, like, make this the priority and say, this is what's gonna guide and govern my life. Jesus, your will, your kingdom, God, your church, I'm gonna be a part of this. this I'm gonna reorient my whole life around this. We're invited into this. When David says, lead me the way of everlasting, that is Jesus, man. And there's a way to Jesus. There's a lifestyle of Jesus, difficult as a way. And there are few, there are a few who go by it. I get that, this is not an easy thing. But can I tell you, I'll speak personally, this has led to life and life more abundantly. God has removed a lot of the greed in my heart, a lot of the self-centeredness, selfishness. It's not completely gone, but through generosity, through worship, through community, through these spiritual formation disciplines, God has really done a lot, and it's led to healthier marriage, healthier family life, healthier balance. I mean, when you Sabbath well, just you go, God, thank you. This has led to my spiritual health. Church, I'm sharing this with you, not to overwhelm you, but to say, I want you to be, and do you want to be spiritually healthy? Assess where you're at. Spend time in God's presence. And be very practical. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Amen?